We the people. We the people. We the people of the United States. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Welcome back, my friends. It is Constitution Thursday here on Afternoons Live with Dave and John, a time we set aside to look at the United States Constitution, its history, its words, how it got to be what it says it means, how it, why they wrote it that way. It wasn't quite as homogenous as we think it is sometimes. We also talk about how it affects us down, right down to today, how the courts interpreted what it's come to mean throughout our history. And we have a great time doing it. You want to join us this afternoon? The text machine is open, 565-DAVE. That's 565-3283. Back in January, we started back at the beginning again. We went back to the beginning, as Bassini said. Started with the preamble of the Constitution. We've made our way all the way to Article 2. Last week, we talked about why have a president. This week, we're talking about how to get a president. As we look at the second clause of Article 2 of the United States Constitution. Eloqui conizio. Stand up. Tell those who oppose liberty, don't tread on me. By the way, it's been kind of, uh, I, I don't know about anybody else. It's the Mike Gallagher thing. Can I tell you about this? The Mike Gallagher receiver blew up. Yes, yes. I, I know you've got your, I know you're, you're deep into that uh, Denise's sticky buns. Oh, these things are so good. Phrasing. They're Denise delicious. Made, made sticky buns. They're, she already makes like the most ridiculous cupcakes ever. Right. And just amazing cakes and stuff. Denise and her mom have made sticky buns that may be. I mean, I'm just going to say right. it's the best thing I'm going to eat for probably the next 10 days. At least. Certainly the best thing I'm going to eat for the next five days. I know that. Yeah. Oh, right. Because you're on your own. <laughs> They're very good. Thanks, you, Denise. Yes, amazing. What a day this has been. Earl album. Yeah, dude, it has Sticky been. buns. It's been a really Sheriff good was day. On his game today. I mean, it's a stitch. It been has been a good really day. Good. I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Hmm. Surely something terrible is going to happen. I don't know what it would be. I hope not. But in the meantime, we'll push on. How's that? Sound of me knocking wood. So, John, let's play a little game. Last week, we talked at great game. length about how why we needed a president, what, uh, what we expected from this guy. And, of course, the biggest problem that we had in the room, in these whole discussions about why have a president, was, was very simply that General Washington was the president of the convention. Right. And it was... And they knew he was going to be the first guy. Right. It wasn't just assumed. It was understood that he would be the first president of the United States, that, that he was going to be it. And really, at that point, are you writing a job description for him or... As we talked about at one point, are you writing a job description so that because he is so fantastic and amazing and the perfect American in, in, in so many ways, the people that come after him are going to let us down? Right. Do we want to give those people the same powers that we would have given him willingly? And the answer was probably not, but we need to define that. The reason we needed a president, of course, was because 
somebody has to carry out the executive duties. And if you tried, they tried this under the Articles of Confederation where the Congress didn't really have a president. I mean, technically, they had a president of the Congress. But it wasn't the same thing as being a chief executive officer of the country. It wasn't like, for all practical purposes, for comparison purposes, he wasn't the governor of the United States. Um, and because of that, things tended to not get done because everything relied on a committee. <laughs> Can you imagine if we didn't have, pre- I mean, forget your politics of today. Right. Can you imagine if we didn't have an executive today? No, you need a tiebreaker, man. You need somebody who's going to be like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And for the exact reasons yeah, that you're imagining, I'm sure. <laughs> it would have been an ungodly mess. I mean. Hilarious. Think of, uh, oh. You don't think Congress would have ever used the IRS to investigate people that they don't like? Because <laughs> yeah. remember, at that point, uh, the Department of Treasury would have come under Congress, not the uh, not the president. Well, I wonder how well that would have worked. <laughs> uh, you talk about a Charlie Foxtrot there. That would have been an absolute mess. But, uh, but that's why they needed one. And they knew they needed one. But the problem, they, of course, they had was they had to make the presidency very balanced. Because if they made it too strong, it would usurp Congress's authority. And remember, Congress, particularly the House of Representatives, that's the people's house. The Senate is the state's house. And really, that's where the power is supposed to lie. That, that, this, this myth of three equal branches of government was never intended to be. The next time some teacher says to you, three equal branches of government, you look at them and say, have you ever actually read this thing? Because that's not how it was intended to be. The Congress was supposed to be the big dog. The executive sort of carried out the executive things. And but the at judicial, the same time, nobody wanted Congress to just run roughshod exactly. over humanity. Checks and balances. Right. You had a president that would that could veto their actions if he didn't feel they were right. And then you had the, the courts that were there to make sure that everything was in keeping with the Constitution. That was the idea. Didn't take long for that to kind of go off the rails, but, you you know... <laughs> oh, the Alien and Sedition Act. This is a great plan. Yeah, let's start throwing people. Oh, Marbury versus Madison. Yeah, judicial review. We're going to look at all your laws. Yeah. Um, so forth and so on. The bigger problem they had, well, this presidency thing is actually the most, a- after the slavery argument, is probably the most contentious argument for the entire convention. And many times they are asked to just kind of set it aside because it, it was getting A, too heated, or B, just too ridiculous in the sense of, well, it's, it's one of those things that I've always hated when I was in management. You ever go to these things where they, let's have a brainstorming session where we just think outside the box. Anybody say any damn fool thing and we'll write it down and consider it. There's no, there's no wrong answers here. <laughs> I hate those meetings. Yeah. At some point, the Constitutional Convention, particularly about the presidency, literally became that. Really? To the point where... And there was nobody there going, no, that's really stupid. Well, <laughs> let's see. How did this, uh, how did this work? <laughs> Luther Martin of Maryland championed the idea of a longer term. He suggested 11 years for the president. Inspired... A nice round number, like 11. <laughs> inspired by that, Eldridge Jerry proposed 15 years. Mocking the auction-based atmosphere, Rufus King called out, 20 years! Really? Adding, adding, this is the median life of a prince. Even Madison, James Madison, ended up cracking a smile, recording in his uh, diary that the remark, quote, might possibly be meant as a caricature of the previous motions, unquote. (laughs) He even writes in a classy way about somebody's joke. He does. (laughs) 
And that's uh, that's the point. I mean, you, you got to understand, it's Philadelphia, it's hot, it's summertime, and things are getting a little... And everyone's been drinking. Yes, a lot, as we've uh, learned in the past. Plus, you've got the prisoners next door. The prisoners door, next door screaming and escaping. Making noises and asking for money on sticks. And and uh, Ben Franklin's fur hat, I'm sure, it probably doesn't smell well by this oh, point. Oh, God, can you imagine? I didn't even think of that. That's awful. And through it all, of course, George Washington is still sitting there. Right. Again, not presumed, not assumed, not expected. It is understood that no matter what kind of government they come up with, this is the guy that's going to lead it. It is, as we say, a thing. But they also know that he's not going to be there forever. Right. They know that everybody's going to... They're, they're not building a country for the first you know 20 years and then off that. And then whatever. They're assuming that somewhere down the line there will be other men of another generation. See, and that was what I thought was the most interesting about uh, about last week's discussion was the whole idea that like, okay, so we know George isn't going to screw us over. We know we can make George president and probably pretty much just give him whatever and he's not going to do the wrong thing. He's we can gonna... give him the keys to the country and it'll be fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it's like, do you assume that and maybe create such by doing this this way, assume that others will rise to that challenge and and meet it? Or do you assume that, well, George is probably the best we're ever going to get ever, and everybody else is going to fall somehow short, and, 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 then, and then maybe, you know, give, give, give them a weak presidency for George's, George's terms, mm-hmm. which is bad. And, and these, were legit, these were the actual debates that they were having. Um, as we talked about last week, they were very concerned that if they give the presidency too much power because of George Washington, would the next guy abuse that? Right. And they still had the problem of if the presidency is too weak, then Congress runs roughshod over him anyway. They don't, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're very concerned about all this. Once they get all that more or less ironed out, they know they're going to have a president. They know that it's probably going to be either four or six years. Then they still have the bigger problem, which is, well, how do we choose that guy? Now, we know that whatever system we come up with is automatically going to unanimously acclaim, acclaim is actually the word they use, George Washington as the first president, and pretty much for as ever long as he wants to be. But again, they're still stuck with the system after that. What happens after that? Because even if George serves for life or whatever, do you want the next guy in there forever? Maybe. I mean, look around. What if it's what if the next guy is uh, Madison or Jefferson or Adams or these guys, these right. giants of the All revolution these guys sitting right here? Right. Or <laughs> what if it's some of those people that uh, you know, politicians type like Eldridge Jerry, who who you may not know. I mean, you 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 think yourself Eldridge Jerry? I've I've probably heard something about him in my life, but Eldridge Jerry is the guy who uh, he's a politician. He's one of the constitutional convention he's one of the people to help write our constitution he's also famous for uh gerrymandering districts ah. so that he can win elections right what if he decides to run for president at oh, some is, point? oh is that where that word came from it's exactly where that word comes from so little things like that are concerning these people and keep in mind they're not all friends here either there are some personal rivalries in this room that uh, they would be right up there with uh, with any of those nemesis, those top five nemeses we gave you a few weeks ago, and we'll bring to you again tomorrow during the best of top five. Um, any of those would would have been comparable to some of these. Some of these guys just flat out did not like each other. Some of them 
some of our frame framers, not necessarily here, I mean, Hamilton and Burr, right, end up shooting at each other. So it, it's how it, did that go? I mean, were they able to like sort of lay aside their differences in the interest of this greater good kind of a thing, or were they jerks about it like during the convention? For the most part, they were able to lay it aside because, and one of the reasons that they kept the deliberation secret was so that they could freely express themselves. And if they didn't like an idea, if they mocked an idea, in fact, there's, uh, there's several ideas of how to choose a president that are so ridiculous that the convention doesn't even vote on them because everybody's basically throwing paper at the guy. <laughs> That's a stupid idea. No, we're not doing that. And, and so some of these relationships are very strained, and yet it is a testament to them and their willingness. And, and, and we talked about this at great length during the preamble and some of the other um, discussions, particularly on the three-fifths clause. They understood that the greater goal had to be reached and that if they didn't get there, if they didn't reach that goal, it was very likely that they would have yet another war. Only this time, instead of fighting the English, the British would come over and pick up whatever's left and take over again. Right. They were going to be fighting each other and they didn't want that to happen. It's Afternoons Live. It's Constitution Thursday. 565 Dave is the text machine. So, John, put your thinking cap on and imagine yourself today. If we had to start over today, how would we choose a president? Everything else is the same. How do we choose that president? What are some of the best ways that we could come up with for doing that? Oh, God. Give it some thought here for just a second. It's Afternoons Live. We'll be right back. The ideas are rolling in via the text machine here, John. 565, Dave. 565-3283. So I have cast you all into the role of framers. Assume for the moment that everything else remains the same. And the same argument uh, that the framers faced, how to choose this president guy, is is the issue. Texture says, um, have a Rochambeau tournament to choose the president. Carlos the Bull says, do it by Twitter followers or Facebook uh, fans. <laughs> How many likes can this candidate get? Share if you agree. No, what is it? Share is agree, common is disagree, or whatever. Yeah, it was like, it's like, oh, which which president is your favorite? Share if Bush, like if Obama. Yeah, I can't read <laughs> Roger's error on, answer on the day. My idea is something like, what if you had like a... Uh, like a Supreme Council, kind of like the Justice League or something right. like that, right? So you've got Congress, like big Congress, right? But then the executive branch is really like, it's like three people. Well, John, surprisingly enough, these are not far-fetched ideas in 1787 technology. They didn't have the Justice League back then. They didn't have the Justice League, no, but they came up with a similar idea for how to choose. that. Really, there's two ways to do this, Okay. A direct election of the president by the people or an indirect election. And then once you get those two ways, now you're branching off into a thousand different ways to do this. The popular election was seen universally. Well, I shouldn't say universally. The most ridiculous flowchart ever. (laughs) Yeah, I shouldn't say universally because there were some people who were very much in favor of the direct election. Uh, Madison in particular thought that the, uh, the, the idea that the people should choose their leader 
was was the best way to do it. The problem was they most of them were convinced that the people would just be ignorant of the people that wanted to run. Now, we talk a lot today about low information not, voters. Not an entirely unfounded fear, as it, it turns it, out. It is not. But, but their reasoning was somewhat different. It wasn't that they thought people didn't care. I actually got a text from my sister about this just right. now. She says, choosing a president, I got this. Two men enter, one man leaves. Thunderdome. My sister suggests Thunderdome, Thunderdome as the method by which we choose a president. I have long advocated for the debates, the presidential debates, yeah. instead of on the state, presidential debate fear factor. <laughs> or like presidential debate American gladiators where, you know, anything like that Romney be, and Obama standing on top of like podiums holding pugil sticks. It would be way better than what we do now. Yes. Because what we do now is just, I mean, we have 45 pages of rules for two guys standing under the lights for 45 minutes. Yes. Minutes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Anyway, the point being that they, um, the idea, they weren't as, cons- they didn't think that the people were stupid. That's not what they thought, John. What they were afraid of was. I do. Well, <laughs> I'll say it. What they were afraid of was that information didn't move quickly enough. Right. No, I get what you're saying. And it would be too hard to, for somebody say in New Hampshire to learn anything about a candidate from Georgia in the appropriate amount of time in order to cast a, a, a an educated vote. They just didn't feel like it could do that. And that was kind of my understanding as to why we were moving. We, we, we moved away from the, you know, popular election and into more of a, uh, what, what did you call the other one? The indirect, indirect election. Right. It, uh, as it turns out, they were correct about this direct election thing and people being idiots. Unfortunately, for the reason that John came up with, which was that basically people, people are, stupid, are stupid or influenceable <laughs> by by things that shouldn't be necessarily the influencing factor. For money. example, money. Once upon a time, the people of this country actually elected a general as president based on his campaign slogan. <laughs> really? Tippy Canoe and Tyler too. And they elected him because of that? Pretty much it. General Zachary Taylor won the Battle of Tippy Canoe, which most people today have never even heard of. You couldn't even tell you what it, who were we fighting in Tippy Canoe. Right. Nobody knows. I mean, I do, but nobody else does. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Pat. But That's the most telling sentence ever spoken on this show. But the point is, people liked it. And, it, and all the issues of the campaign, the actual, well, what about the situation with the country, went out the window. Tippy right. Canoe and Tyler, too. I like Ike. Do you realize that Eisenhower was asked by both parties to run when he ran for president? Both parties wanted him to run on their ticket. Because they knew he was going to be... They knew he was going to win. Yeah. Interesting. Harry Truman was furious with Eisenhower for choosing to run on the Republican ticket. Furious with the outgoing president. They barely spoke on the way to the inauguration because he was so mad at him for running as a Republican. And what was I? What was the situation in the country in 1950? Or I like Ike. Sometimes these phrases become more the issue than anything else. Hope and change becomes the phrase. The focal point becomes more important than that. And the framers were terrified of that happening. And yet, look what ended up happening. It is what happened it, because because of the way marketing works. Exactly. 
That's part of the issue. But in, in rightfully so, we still don't have direct elections because they're afraid that people will be influenced by marketing as opposed to what they should be paying attention to, right. which is the real issues of the, the, of issues. the countries. And so they went, of course, with the indirect system. Now, along the way, let's just talk about some of the suggestions that they had. Let's see. Uh, at one point, somebody from North Carolina proposed to divide the nation into three districts with each one of them having a president. That way, they could protect the North and the South from each other, because even in 1787, they understood that the North and the South didn't like each other. Well, yeah, yeah. And eventually, there would be a Western part, and who knew what way they would go? Who knew what those Westerners would be like? And so if we just have a northern president, a southern president, and a western president, hey, the balance of power is maintained. That sounds like Game of Thrones. (laughs) The sponsor thought that that would protect against the uh, president becoming an elected king, and he thought it pretty certain that we should at some time or another have a king. But he wished to postpone that event as long as possible. In other words, he said that standing in front of uh, George Washington, that eventually we're going to have a king. And we'd like to postpone this King thing as long as we can. Right. With George Washington sitting there. Interesting. So what, okay, so almost kind of what he's thinking is, you know, let's, let's try and keep this whole like, you know, democracy thing occurring and, and keep people into it as, as long as possible because eventually it's going to fail and, and we'll they're going to want a monarchy. Hey, happened in Israel, right? Weird. People were run by the judges after they got their freedom, and eventually they said, no, we want a king. No, Why? we don't want to have to think about all this stuff. Why do we want a king? Because we want to be like everybody else. And God said to Samuel, tell him, don't do that, because if you have a king, he's going to take all your money, he's going to build armies, he's going to... No, no, we, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else that's screwed up <laughs> in this planet. And God said, all right, give him a king. And look what happened. <laughs> I love the idea that God was just kind of like, nah. how about it? <laughs> Eldridge Jerry wanted to, what do I know? to deploy a battery of public officers to select the president. Uh, state legislators would choose their electors. If no candidate commanded a majority, then the House of Representatives would select two candidates from the four. Then the Senate would choose the rest. According to Madison, everybody was so mad at Jerry that they basically said no and threw their papers at him. They uh, had the idea of, okay, what if, what if Congress elects the president, John, until he runs for re-election? Because remember, if, he's, if the Congress picks him, then he's kind of a tool of the, of the Congress, right? Right. Well, But then if he wants a second term. And Congress doesn't have anything to say about it. So then, all right, that's a great idea, but now who picks him for the second term? Right. Well, that ended up with a whole bunch of, maybe, what if we have a direct election then? Or what if the states choose him then? Or what if we go to this elector system at that point? All of these options open up again. That is, but even that doesn't make sense because if he is running for a second term, someone else is still running against him, right? That's the theory. So wouldn't, co- I don't know. That's it's, dumb. It's, again, but these are all actual arguments that they had. Right. Uh, they must see. have just been wasted on like Sam Adams or something like that. Uh, at one point, Governor Morris, one of my favorite people, yeah, we love that guy, recommended that they adopt a scheme for a lottery to pick 15 congressmen who would then choose the president. Drawing on your League of Justice idea, 
That's interesting. Except that the 15 would be chosen by lottery, not because they had the best superhero names or whatever. Right. So we pick 15 congressmen just at purely at random. And then out of they the decide. House and the Senate? No, just out of the House. Ah. And then they decide who the president is. Huh. Okay. I can see some problems with that one, too. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Because especially when we consider that the the way they divided up the House was by population size. Yeah. So what happens? So, so if you've got a big state or whatever... You got a better chance of being one of those fifteen, right? And if you're in a small state or something like Rhode Island or some crap, which of course is the bigger problem here, John, is that that's the biggest problem with direct election is the fact that the big states are going to stomp all over the little states, right? And the little states don't like that. So this indirect thing, you know, that that Governor Moore has proposed also doesn't work for the same reason. It's amazing that they go through all this brouhaha, and eventually, like I said, they end up laughing at each other because they're. They're, they're, they're almost at their wit's end. And then Madison steps forward and says, I think that the people should directly elect him. And everybody says, no, we don't want that. We've got to have a better system. And so they put their heads down and they go, all right, what's the best way we can do this? That will do the following things. It will ensure that the people have some say in this. It will protect the interests of of sectional differences, north and south, and the state's interests, and at the same time will ensure that all states have, if not equal say in this, at least organizational say in this. we got to come up with something that meets all of those things. And so they did. And it still works today. That's The surprising thing is that it still works today, even though people don't want you to believe that. It's half past 565, Dave. Stay with us. Back right after this. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. My motto's always been when it's right, it's right. Why wait until the middle of a cold, dark night? never hear this song without Arrested Development. That and Anchorman. Yeah. So I'm, I'm eagerly looking forward to Anchorman, too. The uh, new season of Arrested Development goes live this weekend, too, yes, on Netflix. Yes, it does. Yep. Looking forward to that, too. Know, my, uh, know what I'll be doing that day. Yeah, my sister and I are planning a marathon as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Welcome back, my friends. Afternoons Live, KF5E, KWSX. I Heart Radio. It is uh, Constitution Thursday. Looking at the Electoral College, which is uh, the system that was placed put in place by the framers to deal with all the problems. Now, I think I think if anybody was to stand back and legitimately look at the issues, there's a there's a movement today. This popular national popular vote nonsense. Well, the person that gets the most votes should be the president. But again, the people who are saying that 
are ignoring the same problems that occurred in 1787. Let's say for the sake of argument that we did that. All right, whoever gets the most votes wins. The same issues that you had in 1787 with the small states being afraid that they're just going to get run over by New York and California are right back in play again. The electoral system, no matter what you think of it, and everybody has their opinion, provides an opportunity. And it's a very interesting opportunity if you were to step back and think about what's going on. For example, okay, California has 55 electoral votes because as it turns out, you get an electoral vote for each representative and each senator. So we have 53 representatives and two senators, that's 55. So that means there are how many electors? Well, there's 535 people in Congress, right? Yeah. So it should be 535, right? Right. But it's not, of course. I hate it when you put me on the on the math spot. Yeah, I do too. Hey, do some math. There are actually 538 electors because the 23rd Amendment gave the District of Columbia three as well. Right. For reasons that I have, I, I, mean, I understand the political reasons why, but shouldn't have happened. But Because you just think people shouldn't live there. No, because it was designed not to be a state. Right. And we're treating it like it's a state. And it's right. not supposed to be. It was not the intention of it. Um, so anyway, there are 538 electors. Electors, the uh, 435 representatives, 100 senators, and three from the District of Columbia. But if you look at the map, you got you've got some pretty massive states. Of course, California with its 55, 38 in Texas, 29 in Florida, uh, New York, 29. Well, Florida and New York are pretty much even. Uh, Illinois, 20. Mm, and really, that's pretty much the big ones. Everybody else, you've got a few that are in the 13, they're in the teens, like Georgia. Uh, Ohio is always a big one, 18. But if you add up all these numbers, see, the fear was originally, if you did this on a popular vote, if you looked at things, California and New York, whoever the favorite son of those two states was, is going to win every time. But if you look at the electoral votes and say to yourself, well, okay, what does it take? How many states do I have to win to offset California? Right, because if and I depend on what they are, if I'm just gonna, if I'm definitely gonna lose California because I'm well today, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because I'm conservative or whatever. How many states do I need to get in order for that not to? Right, matter? if I get Texas and Oklahoma and Nebraska and Iowa, will that offset that? Right. And and really, if you think about it in terms of demographics as well as politics, the reality of it is, if you're going to lose California, you're probably going to do better in those kinds of in, in opposite places. And this, the opposite is true as well. If you're going to lose Texas, you're probably going to you probably do better in California. All of the states, with the exception of two, do this winner take all thing. So that creates some interesting dynamics to it. But in the end, it works because the small states could perceive a threat. Uh, say a candidate that's a big state candidate who's running on a platform of, we're going to screw the small states, could all get together and say, no, you're not. And all cast their electoral votes for the other candidate and have enough to down the big states. It was, it was, it's actually a fairly ingenious system when you, when you look at it the way it was intended to work and what it was intended to protect, which is to maintain that balance of power between the small states and the big states to make sure that nobody got run over. But see, now it's kind of, now it's just all about gaming the system. You know what I mean? Like, how do I play to the electoral college instead of talking to the people? And those are, 
those are some of the issues, except that nobody runs through the Electoral College. You can watch any candidate running right now. It's like they, they don't even know about it. I mean, Al Gore clearly didn't know about it. <laughs> um, it's, it's like they don't even know about it. Well, I won the most votes. How come I didn't win? So forth and so on. Right. Um, but you're right. There are issues with the Electoral College. There's no two ways about that. And in fact, at one point in our nation's history, in 1968, we actually had a constitutional amendment to almost do away with that. Cooler heads prevailed because people began to to think about the history of this and they began to look at the entire picture of things rather than just the simple, it's not fair nonsense. Well, and the only time you're bummed out about it is when you lose. Yes, that's it. It's always the losing party that says this isn't fair, but they never rarely ever stop to think about why is it this way? Right. And that's the thing that I encourage people to do. It's quarter till 565 day 565-3283. Having said that, however, John, you are in fact correct. There are problems with the electoral college system. We have to look at those in the bigger picture, though. Stay with us. Back right after this. So there are problems, John, with the Electoral College. There's no two ways about that. The biggest problem, well, there's two problems with it that, that, that people have a heartache with. It. A, they, they don't think it's fair, but that's... Generally, anybody that says to me they don't think it's fair, my immediate assumption is that they don't understand. And I'm, and I'm sorry if that offends you, but that's... Again... I don't think that will surprise anybody about you. Right. If you understand its history, you understand why it's there... And that's the bigger issue. The um, The number one complaint about it is that it causes candidates to not to, to focus on what are called swing states. In other words, California's the big complaint during the last election was California was just an ATM for, for the candidates because everybody knew that California was going to go to Obama. Right. Um, pretty much everybody knew that Texas was going to go to to Romney. Utah was going to go to Romney. I mean, it kind of comes predictable. But if you stop and think about it for just a moment, back out we the people and think about the other side of this equation in federalism, which is theoretically the state government. The state government also should have some sort of say in this, should they not, since that's the way it was set up. Sure. Which of the two candidates represents the government of the state of California better? Well, I mean, in this last election, I guess it was Obama. You you would be hard-pressed. Again, we may disagree, but you'd be hard-pressed to say that that was not the case. That right. President Obama was more in agreement with the government of the state of California. And likewise, Romney with the state of Texas and so forth. Sure. So to say that it's unfair in that sense because it's a winner-take-all is somewhat... I'll give you half on that one. It, it seems unfair, but it's really not. That's the element of state control in all of this. Because that was intended by the framers that the states should have some form of say in this. And so they were, it was decided early on that the states would decide how the electors were chosen in that state and how they would be delivering their votes. And all of the states uh, throughout our history, with the exception of two, have said winner takes all because that best represents our state government as well. So doesn't that mean it doesn't matter who your electors are? 
in some ways. The in theory all ways. Original, the theory originally was that your electors would be people of great wisdom and, and integrity. Yeah, but if but it's a winner-take-all state, you it, know. Well, it's for all practical purposes become a political patronage now. Right. But it doesn't change how it works. The other complaint about the electoral system is that the, they spend all their time and energy in swing states. But that was the intention all along. You are going to have to win certain states, convince those states in order to, because again, big states shouldn't be a problem for one candidate or another. For a fa- Their big concern was favorite son candidates. In other words, a Virginian was always going to win Virginia's votes, even if he was, you know, a the dirt worst ball. Virginian ever, right? New Yorker was always going to win New York. That's what their real concern was. And to some degree. Because, I mean, if you think about it today, you say that today, it's like, who cares? Not quite true. Regional candidates. Why do why do candidates oh, well, get picked the way they are? Uh, think about this. President wins the nomination. Who does he choose as his vice president, and why? In in a lot of cases, it's a regional consideration. I need to carry Somebody the south. Who's the governor of yeah. I need to carry the south. I need the west. I need I need conservatives. So I pick Paul, Paul Ryan, so forth and so on. So those those choices go into there, and it all works out. It still works the way they intended for it to work. I just think that we don't always understand that, and that's part of the problem. That's why part of that's part of why people are going. Well, isn't that fair? It may not be fair, but keep in mind, it does what it's supposed to do. And the alternative was a direct popular election, which the framers were absolutely convinced would end in a war. And I still think that today, if California and New York was deciding who the president was, how long would this last? That's a good point. Back in 60. Well, that puts the wraps on a Constitution Thursday. I hope you learned something. Hopefully you'll go study some more. I didn't have time to get into the whole uh, Lois Lorner thing today. Uh, but you can read it on my blog at kfiv1360.com. Go to the Dave Diamond page. She's not testifying again, folks. She, the the Congress people that are telling you that she's in contempt are wrong. And all you got to do is read Miranda and you'll understand why. But um, the, the courts have made it very clear that the Fifth Amendment applies to non-court proceedings and can be invoked at any point. That's what it says. So I don't know where they're getting that from. But we can talk about more of that on Monday. I am taking the day off tomorrow, folks. I'm going to take a vacation day. And, of course, Monday is Memorial Day. So I'll be hosting. We're going to talk about video games and girls and drinking. So tune in tomorrow at 3 for that. Or possibly best of top five. I, John, have, I, haven't, decided. I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet. All right. <laughs> Sunday, we'll be down at uh, Castle Air Museum for the open cockpit day. Come on down. We'd love to see you. 9 to 5. You'll have a great time. You'll see a lot of cool stuff, including that Dauntless. And then we'll be back on Tuesday for a brand new episode of Afternoons Live. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there, so don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. I'm Dave. That's John. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, folks. And we'll see you on Tuesday for a brand new episode of Afternoons Live on KFIB, KWSX, and iHeartRadio. Oh, I thought you had something to say. I'm sorry. No. Okay. Do your thing. You raised your hand. No, you were doing great. uh, All right, folks, stay tuned. Rusty Humphreys is next. Stockton Ports Baseball over on KWSX. Game four, hockey game tomorrow night on KFIV. They got to win. It's an elimination game. Fingers crossed. Yep.
We'll see you, everybody, on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Afternoons Live is a slippery fish entertainment production for Clear Channel Media and Entertainment Modesto.